Excited to be here. Okay, that's good. Now, why are you excited to be here? That was a great Christian answer. Thank you. I hope, I hope all you meant it. Amen. I hope your expectation changes the atmosphere for your neighbor. I hope your hunger stirs up the row you're sitting in. I hope your desire for God changes the, changes the section that you're in. Come on, we are expecting from God. We are hungry for God. We are desiring God. What I wanted to do felt in my heart, it's not in my notes, I didn't think about this beforehand, but during worship, something I wanted to do, very important. I acknowledge 100%, 100% as I was praying this during we are us ending worship right now, I was praying, Lord, I acknowledge that I'm here because of you. But you know, I also acknowledge 100% that I'm also standing here because there was someone, there was people that obeyed the call of God, and this is what we see now. You don't have to clap, don't clap, it's okay, don't clap. You'll clap later. I don't, I don't need golf claps, it's, I'm not holding one in, no, just. Over, a little over 24 years ago, he's gonna like that I said this, a very simple man very simple, humble man who was walking with God, heard God's voice to start a church right here where you're sitting. For about 11 years, I believe, we went from church to church, renting different buildings. Church began to grow. The church started with three families. Church began to grow, going to different churches, going to different places, renting out bigger churches. Finally, God opened a huge door and gave us this building. And my friends, we are here in this building because there was someone that obeyed the voice of God when he spoke to him. Reinhard Boki said this in his testimony, that when God called him to Africa, he did not want to go. His conversation with God went this way. You're the fourth I've come to. If you don't want to do it, I'll go to the next. And at that, Reinhard Boki said, okay, Lord, you don't have to go to anybody else. I'll go. A church would have been here no matter what. But there was a man who God spoke to who obeyed the voice, and now we are here. He is a father to us as young people, almost like a dad to me. Can we please give honor to our senior pastor, Pastor Sergey Kozlov? He, he doesn't like this, but we honor him. We honor him. We love you, Pastor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Pastor. We love you. You know, another thing I want to do, if you are a senior pastor, you are a senior pastor here with us, can you please stand up right where you are? Oh, yeah, so humble. I know, I know. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Senior pastor. Senior pastors, anybody else? Senior pastors, okay. Can I, please stay standing. Can I have youth pastors? 
Youth pastors that are here with us, please stand up where you are. <laughs> okay, can you please stay standing? Stay standing. I know this is, you're, just, just for a little bit longer, I know some of you are tired. Well, just stay, stay standing, it's all good. <laughs> I see some of you holding your seat, really. <laughs> stay standing, you're young, believe it. Young people, stretch your hands out towards these pastors. We teach our people, and we believe God is raising up a generation that will honor those that went before us. And when I say went, they're not done. They are going before us. We follow their example. We are taught by them. We look up to them. We pray for them. But I believe something that we're missing a much in this generation is honoring those that are above us, our parents, our elders, our leaders and pastors in our churches. Right where you are, maybe you've had a hard time looking up to pastors. Maybe there's been things that happened in your life through pastoral leadership, through church, through, through ministry. But I want you to step over yourself, stretch your hand out, and begin to pray. Some of you are going to get a breakthrough as you're praying for a pastor, believing, believing that God would continue to use them, give them wisdom, direction in Jesus' name. Come on, raise your voice with me. Pray, pray. Father, we thank you for every pastor here, youth pastors, senior pastors. We thank you so much, God, for these men that you are raising up, women that you're raising up. We thank you so much for the call of God on their life. We thank you so much that you are using them in this time. That because of them, God, many, 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 and I would say all of us are here. I thank you, God, so much for their faithfulness, their commitment, their obedience. We speak strength in Jesus' mighty name. We speak a new fire in Jesus' name. We speak health in Jesus' name. Everything the devil schemed to do in their life, we come against in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, that the best is yet ahead, that you're stretching the tent, God, that you're expanding their influence. God, we thank you for the word that you're giving, fresh word, fresh revelation, that if there's been dryness, a fresh word is coming for them. We bless them in Jesus' name. We bless their families. We bless their children. We bless their finances. We bless their health. We bless their future. God, we thank you that all that you have for them, God, they will do and accomplish and fulfill in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Tell me to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, but Genesis chapter 1. From verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Some translations will say empty. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, I love this. Then God said, let there be light. And there, guess what? Was light. Because someone said, and that someone ain't just a someone, God said. And when God says, guess what? 
saw the light. I don't know if he was surprised. I don't think so. That it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. Hello. He divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. In the beginning, the earth was without form. It was empty. It was void. But the Holy Spirit was hovering. The Holy Spirit was hovering. And then God spoke. This I call heaven dynamite. When the Holy Spirit is hovering even over a mess, but God begins to speak. What God begins to speak, the Holy Spirit takes and begins to bring into fruition. What was empty and what was black, what was void and what was dark, because the Holy Spirit was hovering, when God began to speak, something began to happen. And so God spoke and there was. And God saw that it was good. And then God divided the light from the darkness, calling the darkness night and calling the day the light day. I want you to say to me, what about me? If God could turn a black, voided, empty mess, a black blob into what you see now by simply him speaking and the Holy Spirit hovering, my friend, you better believe that if you're sitting in the back or you're sitting in the front, it's your first time at church or you've been a hundred times. No matter what your mess is, no matter how dark you are, God, when he speaks and the Holy Spirit is hovering, something begins to happen because he speaks. If he can turn a black ball into what you see now, God can take your little life. And because of the Holy Spirit who is here and God speaking his word can do something that you cannot expect. When he speaks, it will be. When he speaks, it will be. When he promises, it will be. His word will not return, but it will go to the place that is void and begin to do its work. His, wor His word is for you. The Holy Spirit is for you. No matter where you are, what you're going through, I don't care if you've been addicted for 15 years. I don't care if you've been struggling for 10. My friend, when God speaks and you listen and you receive the word, the Holy Spirit will do the work that you cannot do. You can try to change your life. You can try to make things right. But when the word is spoken and you receive the word, that word does what you cannot do. It creates. It begins to give form. It begins to give purpose. It begins to give assignment. It begins to give... All day we can talk about that. It begins to do something that, my friend, you cannot do on your own. 
But you know what I love? He separated things. He separated. When he spoke light, when he spoke light into darkness, his next thing he did, the first thing God did is he created light. The second thing God did is he divided light from darkness. No matter how dark a night may be, the moon shines. The stars twinkle. I don't know what it is, sparkle, whatever. When I just got married, I'm married by the way. Believe it or not. Still don't know why she married me. But I don't know if they might be getting translated to, don't judge them. It's okay, it's okay. There's a delay on that sound right there. Speaker, I think it's that speaker right there. My wife loved the stars. Did you see the sky tonight? It's there every night. <laughs> I haven't lived, for, I haven't lived for, for long, woman, but I, I know there's a sky every night. You know, and I, and I, because of her love for sunsets, her love for stars, like me, no. I'm her star. Just, honey, did you see those? I'm like, honey, did you see me? Did you see me? She I see you. You ain't no star. All right. Amen. 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 She's a wise woman. Amen. And I begin to pay attention a little bit more. Begin to love stars. <laughs> yeah, when you want to get married, you're going to love everything. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to, you're going to love date nights. You're going to love sunsets. You're going to love tea. You're going to love fireplaces. You're going to love coffee and cookies. You're going to love so many things, man, that you just... Thank you, Lord, for the cross. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But you know, even at night there's light. And during the night, light shines. But during the day, Darkness cannot do so. You can turn light on, but you cannot turn darkness on. Light flows from God who is power. Bible says that God is light. What he spoke, he is. What we saw begin to happen reflects who he is. He shines. He is light. And when he begins to speak, you begin to see who he is. And light is power because God is power and God created light because God is light. But darkness has no power. Hear me out. 
Compared to light, darkness does not have power. When light shines, darkness ceases to exist. When the light begins to shine, darkness begins to exist. We are living in the finished work of what our Lord and Savior did. My friend at his name, my friend at his light, my friend at his authority, darkness has no power. Darkness cannot turn on. It's only light, which is from God, that can turn on. Light begins to turn on, darkness ceases to exist. You can't blame the world for being dark, but you can blame the church for not being light. You can't blame a natural man, meaning a natural man, a man who was born in flesh like you and I, does not know the Lord, does not know God, lives by the desire and instinct that was birthed in him throughout him. You cannot blame a man like that, why he's living in sin, why he's cussing, why he cuts you off, why he doesn't like you, because he is in darkness. But what you can do is turn on, and that light that's in you can begin to shine in someone that's not. The darkness in the earth, y'all clap too much, just listen, it's all good, I don't need to clap, it's all, it's all, it's all good, it's all good. When the light shines, darkness has to go. The darkness goes when the light shines. Decay stops when salt begins to be salt. Man, why is, thing, why is it so dark? Why, why is the world so messed up? Why are things going like this and like that? Why is our government so, why, why are they passing all these laws? Why is this and this happening in the Northwest? Why? When the light turns on, my friend, darkness has to go. We talk too much about darkness not realizing the power of light that we have. If our conversations were more about him than the problem we're in, I believe light would begin to shine in those problems. When salt is salt and light is light, things begin to change. I'm here to break every lie the devil is tied onto you, thinking that darkness has some kind of power over the light, thinking that decay has some kind of power over soul. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Light has power. Salt has power. Not darkness. Jesus did not sneak into heaven. And then come on earth and sneak into hell. Where is he at? Where's Mr. D-E-V-I-L? David, where is he? Where is he? No. He said, look, he comes. He's got nothing against me. My friend, when you say his name, there are things in spiritual realms that you do not see and understand that begin to shake and tremble because he is the king of kings. He's the one that spoke light. And when light shows up, something begins to happen. Don't get me started. I didn't ask for sound effects, but if they give me them, I'm gonna whip this out. I'm gonna whip this out. That sound effect messed me up. 
You know, I had a thought I showed to my wife driving here. Can you imagine how far away the sun is? Nerds, please. How far is it? Somebody, somebody help me out. Somebody help me out. How, how far? I can't hear anything you're saying. Bro. I know you're smart, but please talk clearly. How far is the sun away from the earth? Okay. All right. Sounds good. It's far. That's what that means. That's geek for far. And how much bigger, listen, 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 y'all laughing. How much bigger is the sun than the earth? Someone shouting numbers like he knows something. I got people everywhere, bro. Everywhere. <laughs> okay, so the sun is far. The sun is a lot bigger for us simple folk. Really big, huge, huge. And watch this. God spoke that thing into existence. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. No, one second. Spoke that thing into existence. If the sun were to draw any closer, we'd have a disaster. But God in the flesh came to earth 2,000 years ago, not claiming to be a light, not the one who said, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where you are. Hey, I am. Jesus who spoke the sun into existence, who gave it its power, came down the earth and walked among us. You think if the sun has power so, so far away to keep our earth warm, that the sun who came down, that Jesus Christ who conquered sin and death and hell does not have power to take care of what's happening here on earth? If the sun has power, you better believe the son of God has much more. Much more. Turn me to Isaiah 42, please. Isaiah 42. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. Behold, please listen carefully. I believe this is a specific word for us. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. 
He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. What's coast? What's coast? What's coast? Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you into righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, to those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. And new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Salah sing. Let them shout from the top of mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I want to talk about invisible influence. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, invisible influence. Light is influence. Listen, when light turns on, it's influence. When light begins to shine, it's influence. The influence of light is much greater than the influence of darkness. You can walk outside and if you don't got lights on the outside of your house or you live in the hood, whatever, you can grab your phone, turn a little flashlight on the back of the iPhone, and you can walk where you need to walk because that little light has influence to shine where you are and give you some kind of direction. Imagine the amount of darkness that is around you when that little light on your phone begins to shine. Something begins to happen. Light is influence. And my friend, guess what? Light has nothing in common with darkness. As death has nothing in common with life, darkness has nothing in common with light. As far as death is from life, so is darkness from the light. Why? It's been separated. There's a line that's been drawn by who? By God. This is light. This is darkness. This is influence. This is not. 
Does darkness have power to influence? Yes, of course. Why? Lights off. No light, darkness does what it does. It comes because there's no light. There's light, darkness flees. Light and darkness have nothing in common. Let's go straight to this. Samuel was anointing the next king. He comes to the house of Jesse. The Lord speaks to him. Jesse, let's cut this right to the point. Jesse forgets about David. Are you with me? Do we read the same Bible? Yeah. Does Passion, trans, passion Translation Bible say something else? Look at those light guys. Turn on and off. That's good. Just making sure you're not sleeping up there. Yeah, that's a good place to take a nap. Don't fall off. Bible jokes. It's all good. It's all good. David was not visible. Even his father, in moments' time, forgot about him. Samuel comes to anoint the next king. Sees the firstborn. Wow. Jesse, I need a ladder. <laughs> yeah. No. Number two, no. Number three, no. Number four, no. Jesse, you got any more sons? Oh, <laughs> yes, I do. He's out with the sheep. Call him here. And someone that was invisible became visible for anointing for a specific purpose God had for his life. David was invisible, but visible to God. Can we talk a little bit about the local church? God is not going to use you without the local church. What do you mean God called me? Do you know who I am? I heard God's voice. My friend, I don't care if an angel showed up in your room. If you are not connected to a local church, if you are not faithful in a local church, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. David was faithful in his father's house. What made him visible to God, but invisible to this world, he wasn't pumping juice, getting ready for kingship. He wasn't out running around getting fit for being a king. He wasn't working on his war stuff, getting ready for war. He was faithful in his father's house. He was taking care of his daddy's sheep. There were men at war, young men at war. Maybe some dreamt to be a king. Maybe some dreamt to be a leader. Maybe some dreamt, but there was a man who put his dreams aside and was faithful in someone else's house. 
Let me give you a secret in the kingdom of God. If you're not faithful in someone's house, you ain't going to have your own. Before he became the king of the people, he was the king of the sheep. The king of the sheep, faithful in Jesse's house, was the one that God saw. He's not in it for himself. He's not disobedient to his father. He's in submission in his local church. He is respecting and honoring his leadership and his elders. He's ready to take care of some sheep. He's ready to usher in some people. He's ready to stack some chairs. Faithful in God's house. And God, he sees faithfulness. He will look past talent to faithfulness. He will look past your strength to faithfulness. He will look past how long you've been in church. And even if you've got a membership where nobody can kick you out of your seat, you're going to be there for the rest of your life. He looks past you to faithfulness. What's visible to this world is invisible to God. But what's invisible to God, invisible to this world, is visible to him. Someone was faithful with his, with his daddy's sheep. And listen, he got called from the place he was. He didn't come to Jesse. Hey, Dad, your sheep drive me crazy. I smell like them. I dream about them. I can't, I don't want to eat them. I don't want to touch them. Flies are all over me. People look at me. I, I'm tired of where I am. No one sees me. No one's happy about what I'm doing. My brothers get to go to war and do cool guy stuff, but I'm here with sheep playing like a little girl. And when no one's looking, I even ride sheep because I get bored. I get bored. I imagine David trying to ride some sheep. And then, he, and then he told his dad, yeah, a lion took it. He sat on it and broke it. But we don't see him complaining. We don't see him mimicking. We don't see him, why me, why me, why? No, we just see him faithful. My friend, when you are faithful where you are, trust me, God sees everything you do. God sees where you are when you're faithful. You can ask any one of our wonderful pastors. Pastor, who would you like? Faithful or talented beyond belief? Faithful. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They come into Babylonia, getting offered food from the king's table. They look like everyone else. They're young, handsome, smart. Nebuchadnezzar was picking the best out of every place. He was picking the best out of every place. And these three young men come into his court, come into his school, come into his training, come under his leadership. And they say to their officer, we don't want to eat the food that he gave us. We can't eat that food. Hold, stay with me. We're going to get there. We can't eat that food. This is what we've been taught from birth. This is what God's commandments are to us. This is what it means to us to follow our Lord, our God. They were not saying, 
We're better than all these guys. We just want to do what our God has asked us to do. And he said, okay, did a 10-day test, 10 days eating vegetables, eating water, not eating of the king's food. And these men, it says 10 times the amount are wiser, smarter, better, better looking. And Nebuchadnezzar appoints them. Their desire to be in obedience with God's word in their life, when no one was watching, when somebody could have said, hey, I'm in Babylon, I haven't ate this good forever, man. I would sneak out of my parents' house, cross over to maybe somewhere like, Pastor, Pastor Slavik was reading all those cities, Canaanites, Jebusites, Cherizites, Perizzites, sounds like a bunch of diseases. I'm like, no matter, God doesn't bless them. I wouldn't bless anything like Shazites, Kaisite, whatever. Sneaks out to a Zite place, a Zittite, Zite, whatever, and eats some good food. But here in Nebuchadnezzar's court, we got to eat this food. But these young men say no. And I wonder, I wonder what it was like when a bunch of young men sat around the king's table eating such good food. And these young men, maybe were in a, behind them in another table, or maybe on the floor, or maybe in the corner, eating celery. I get nightmares from celery. <laughs> it don't matter how much peanut butter you put on it, it tastes like garbage. <laughs> Somebody said amen. 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 Celery. Change your diet. And they're over nibbling in the corner. Water. Water. And I wonder, oh yeah, you laugh. You laugh, but we, look, we read these Bible stories because we were taught, taught them from who knows how old we were. We were three, and our mom was talking about Nebuchadnezzar. What? Nebuchadnezzar who? Are you cussing? <laughs> New rapper? I don't know who that is. Nebuchadnezzar what? Nebuchadnezzar. And, and we get so used to reading these stories. I want you to think a little bit. I want you to think what it was like for David. Waking up early in the morning before his brothers, because they got to sleep in, didn't have to take the sheep out before daylight, but he did. He wakes up and he gathers his sheep, he puts on his clothes, he goes, finds his stick, packs some food for the whole day. Maybe he's going on a longer journey to give them some water. He's leaving for a week and he's walking with these sheep. Now I wonder what it was like for these guys in the corner eating celery. Can we safely assume something? that it probably wasn't so easy. That there was probably a lot of finger pointing, a lot of laughing and mocking. But they said, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna be faithful. And 10 days later, peace. You thought I was invisible, but someone saw me and didn't see you. And I'm going to the next place. Come on. Tell your neighbor, see ya. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about influence. Let's talk about influence. Light has nothing in common with darkness. These men had nothing in common with those they were around. 
We got anybody, any, any, any King David dreamers? Slaying giants? Ton of wives? No, just kidding. That's not, that's, that's not good. Nope. Gotcha. Talk to, somebody talk to him. Escort him now, please. No. Influence is not popularity. There was four men chipping away on some celery and many, many more doing their own thing. There was eight brothers, eight total brothers in Jesse's house. David was the eighth. Seven doing what they want. One doing what he knew he had to do. It's not influence. To influence is not being popular. And if anything, the Bible stories we read, you are going against the, the current. You're going against the whole group. You're going against people that are doing everything the way they're doing it. But there are some people, I believe, in every generation that God has set apart that are not bowing their knee, are not saying, yes, I'm like everybody, but are doing what God told them to do. And no matter what city they're at, Babylon is not an excuse to bend over. No matter where you are, what city you live in, my friend, if you're in Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, New York, or somewhere in the middle that we don't know. Having influence is not always being popular. Moses was popular, and then Moses the next day wanted to be killed. David was popular. Oh, David, killing the 10,000 people. Oh, my gosh, you're so good. You're so strong. Next moment, he has his own guys wanting to take his life. Are you hearing me? Influence and popularity, like darkness and light, like death and life, have nothing in common. Popularity is dependent upon, listen carefully, popularity is dependent upon trend. Trend is dependent upon culture. The heart of culture in our world is you. Listen. Very clearly, I heard these things in my heart. Popularity is connected to trend. Trend derives from culture. Culture, the heart of it, is all about you. Influence comes from truth, not trend. Truth derives from, derives from the culture of heaven. The culture of heaven is all about one man, and it's not you. If I want to be popular, I bend over to trend. I bend over to trend because it's culture in the time I live in. And when I bend over to culture, why? It's all about me. John says this. John sums it up. Everything the world has to offer comes in three different categories. I call it, I call it a three-course meal. Appetizer, what? Entree and dessert. The world is offered in three categories. The lust of the... The lust of the... And the 
pride of life. In other words, this world, what it has to offer, comes to you in appetizer, entree, and dessert. This is what you see that you could have. This is what we offer you for physical pleasure that you desire. And my friend, become somebody. Culture in the world is built upon these three principles. Culture is all about offering you something to see, to look at, offering you something that you desire that you can grab to get pleasure from, and offering you something that you can become somebody. Become somebody in this time that you live in. Be known, be famous, be somebody that's important, have a lot of money, be popular. My friend, if you want to be popular, you will have to sooner or later submit your life to the trend of the age you live in. And when you submit to the trend, what you're doing is submitting to culture. And my friend, what that looks like is idol worship. And that idol starts with I. Me. But this is what I want that has to die. But this is what I desire that has to die. This is what I feel that has to die. You know, let's talk about feelings. Is that okay? Feeling today has gained so much power that it can change your gender. Feeling is so powerful that it decides what you do or do not with your life. My friend, relying on the feelings that come and go in your life is the most unsure thing you can do for your future. Have you noticed that feel, the word feel, feelings, is in more worship songs in this time we live in than in any other? We hear feel more in our worship and our praise than we have ever before. I don't know. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. But I think that feelings never cause God to love the world. Before I felt anything, God so loved and then he sent. Before I felt anything, my Jesus decided to come down in my place, take my spot on the cross, die for my sins. Can you turn me up? I'm starting to lose my voice. You know those preachers? Before I felt anything, God did all that he did for me. He came for me. He died for me. He loved me. He laid his life down for me before I felt anything. Why are my feelings going to think that I can change my future, change my life, change my... What are feelings going to do? It wasn't your feeling that, cut, that caused him to come down. It was his love for you. And it wasn't your feeling that brought him into your life. It was your faith. Your faith allowed him to come into your life. Not your feeling. 
I'll say this. That when you least feel like it, you need to do it. When you feel nothing, you need to lift your hands. When you feel nothing, you need to lift your voice. When you feel nothing, you need to lift yourself up from where you are. It's not about your feelings. Not about your feelings. You know, a trend that we see more and more We went from, as Pentecostals, full gospel churches, we went from never agreeing with alcohol in our churches to now debating about it. New wine sex. New wine, what is it called? Joe, you're just, skins. Yeah, sex is a little bit dumb. Nothing needs to be said. <laughs> New wine skins are not for old wine. Old wine skins are for old wine. But new wine skins are for new wine. Not teaching you how to have a vineyard. Do not get drunk, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm not Mr. Holier than you that's here to say some things to you that other people don't want to talk about. But I believe that light has nothing in common with darkness. Y'all said amen in my whole introduction. There is nothing that darkness has in common with light. Study Adam in the garden. We don't see alcohol. There is no need for it when you are filled with new wine. But Jesus he, the first miracle he did was wine. <laughs> I haven't been able to sleep. He sent his Holy Spirit to fill your wine skin. There is nothing you need, my friend. Listen, the bottle sooner or later will run dry. But the river of the Holy Spirit in Revelations runs from the throne of God. A river flows from the throne. I don't want anything in my life that runs out, that expires, that leaves me in the same place. I want what he promised that continues to flow in my life. Flows in my life. Listen. When I eat steak, I want to pray in tongues, not drink wine. 
Pastor Roman knows, man. When Pastor Slavik or Pastor Roman cooked me up some steak, you should see us before we eat. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we begin to. We got knives this big. Put it in my mouth. even a little bit of that garbage in my life I eat some steak and finish it with some praying in tongues steaks cooking it makes me want to intercede for the cows of my nation ain't no holy cows here huh they are doomed because of me. How about another trend? Let me start this trend like this. If you got saved by God, if you got saved by God, listen, you got saved by God. You came to church, some spray paint. Pastor walks into the sanctuary, and you're on one of the walls. I love you, Pastor. <laughs> because of you, it's the whole wall, because of you, I know the Lord. <laughs> Hashtag to the truth. No, that's too long. C-O-T. Cross it out. C-O-T. Would you ever do that? If you got saved. I don't know about you, but a little bit of vandalism, vandalism happened in my life before my salvation. Vandalism is probably one of the funnest things to do for young people before they come to the Lord. Some, some, of, you, some of you parents. Ojos. <laughs> but only God knows what you did when you were 15. Oh no. My dad tells me, when I was your age, all right, Dad, you matured a little bit quicker than me. What about a little bit earlier? What'd you do? Oh. I love the owers. They're, they're everywhere. Well, I would never in my right mind, in a right heart, do something like that. What makes getting tattoos different? We got tattooed brothers and sisters that get saved by the power of God. I know some people from Mount Ministry that are here. Uh-huh. Some of you wondering, is our church approved of tattoos when they come up here and they're all tattooed up? No, these people were saved. Saved by God. Brought into the light. 
Let's do this. The tabernacle was specifically instructed by God for its design. Every thread, every color, every design, every post, every hanger, everything that you see the tabernacle was, God spoke it first. And Moses gathered some folk that began to build this thing exactly the way he said. Why? Because when they did it according to his word, he promised, I will fill that tabernacle with my presence. God, David had a desire. Father, I'm going to build you a house. Your hands have shed too much blood. Your son will build it. And what does God do? Give specific instruction, detail by detail. Every stone, every piece, every color, every silver, every gold. He gives per I wanted a burp. Wow. Wow. This must be really good. New, new wine. And what he says, they begin to build. You know what's cool about the tabernacle? It was mobile. When God moved, the tabernacle moved. God said tomorrow, gather it up. We're going. And the tabernacle, which hosted the presence of God, began to move. You know what's crazy about the Temple of Solomon? Considered to be the most beautiful thing ever built by man. The amount of gold and silver that was in that place, honey, would be enough for you for a long time. You'd be walking around that thing. <laughs> wow. So precious. I want some. And when they did what God said, the presence of God filled the temple. What was a beautiful structure, what was a mobile tent, became something heavenly when God's glory, God's presence filled that very thing. You can walk in, lick the gold if you wanted, but when God's presence came down, my friend, you go in there, you better be careful. What was normal became sacred. Look what it says. Paul gives Timothy a warning, this scripture I just remembered. I need to read this before I continue. 2 Timothy, look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, holy, unloving,
Are you kidding me? Okay, let me, maybe this is, let me paraphrase this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I think verse 2, maybe I missed it in my notes. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe, it says, nothing, Paul gives Timothy a warning, nothing will be considered sacred. And this popped out to me when I was reading. Nothing, and maybe somebody can find it, nothing was, is to be considered sacred. NLT says that. Can you read that? What does it say? and their money, they will be boastful and proud and scoffing at God, disobedient to the parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. A warning to Timothy in, the, in his young life. Nothing will be considered sacred. My friend, you are much more than a tabernacle. You are much more than a temple. You are mobile as well. You are beautiful as well. Everything about your structure, about the way you are formed, was specifically designed by God speaking into your life. The formation of you was God's word over your life. What God began to say, what God began to dream and think and desire, began to make you. The prophets of old dreamed of the days when they were revealed, it was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit that a day will come that I will not just inhabit some temple or some tabernacle, but a moment is coming in time. Something is going to shift, something that's never happened before, when man will be filled with the glory of God. When the Holy Spirit will not just come down in tabernacles and temples, but will fill young men, old men, women, children. I would never tattoo myself because I am sacred. You think the temple is sacred? My friend, look at yourself. You are the most sacred thing that walks on this earth. You are filled with divine glory, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the one who is light, who is life, is in you. You are a walking temple. You carry the presence of God. If in Genesis, you were so perfect that you did not need clothes. My friend, trust me, you don't need a tattoo. Your body is sacred because it carries the glory of God, the presence of God. Today, our culture, do what you want with your body. It's yours. It's not yours. It's not yours. The culture of this world is about you and me. What I can have, who I can become, what I can get my hands on, what is best for me, what I like, what I want, what I desire, what I see. I believe that God is raising up young people that are not 
bending over the culture in this time. Romans 12, Paul says to Romans, do not, I urge you, I urge you, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When it says world, it says age. In other words, the age you live in will be a specific age. The age I plant you in. Listen, I love to play chess. Anybody chess players? Me too. <laughs> if some of you are really good at chess, like myself, Alex is looking at me. He, he is, humble yourself before I kick you. He, he beat me in chess. He beat me in chess. Student will never be greater than his teacher. If you're really good at chess, I got this picture to help us see this. A person that's really, really good at chess can think moves ahead. Now, some of you think, that's not hard. You move a pond, and then the next plan you have is to move your horsey. And then another pond. I don't know, I don't know why that, that just came from this. That's how I talk to my kids. <laughs> Thinking moves ahead. My friend is this. <clears throat> when I begin to move my pieces, there is recorded chess world championships where the first move takes hours. Those of you that know chess know what I'm talking about. What do you mean? Just move the pawn. <laughs> I could beat that guy. Yeah, that's what you think, my friend. Keep taking care of the sheep. It's okay, we're, we're getting, this is all going to wrap up, it's all good, one second, two seconds. Okay. <laughs> Hours to make the first move. Why? This person, for those of you that play chess, those of you that don't play chess, this might not make any sense. There are 16 pieces that you play with on your chessboard. 16 pieces the opponent has. These guys that play at world level, this is what thinking moves ahead looks like. Not pawn first. What they're thinking about, if I move my pawn this, to this spot, there are, if you're really good at chess, you know this, 10 possibilities the other opponent has to make his first move. You're learning chess today. This is so sweet, awesome, take notes. 10 moves the opponent can make. So one move triggers 11 moves. 10 moves, now the next one for you, triggers 10 moves that can happen. 
You know the 10 moves that can happen. Now you're thinking of the second move you're going to make, no matter what 10 moves he makes. When you make your second move, you're now considering the next 11 or 12 moves that person can make if he freed up some of his pieces in the back. And now you're thinking about those pieces. Combine that with what you have not even started yet. Talking about 25 moves, this is only move two. Third move ahead, you're thinking, is when you move the third piece, there's another, probably 15 possibilities, that person has to move his pieces now. So now this is a combined, anybody help me? Almost 40 moves. You make your fourth move, opening up possibilities close to maybe 20. We're talking about over 60 moves that are possible for your opponent to make. You've only moved four times. Now, this is the crazy part. Chess geniuses, prodigies, can think ahead anywhere from 10 to 20 moves ahead. It's been recorded, I think his name was David, an American chess player. He could think, he had a one game that he would play on people. He could think, I don't know, 12, 15, it was a dumb amount of moves ahead. Here's what he would do. He would set his pieces up perfectly using the player's strategy against him. He would do this, when he would set pieces up, he would figure them in a way, because really, really good chess players, they don't look, you move your horse, what's that horse you gonna do? That's, take that, take that, move that. When, they're, when you're moving, they're looking at the whole board, all possibilities, everything you can potentially do, and they are closing you in. It's scary. <laughs> My dad is one of these chess players. When I grew up, he taught me chess. He would give me pieces, key pieces, just give them to me and say, now let's play. And he would destroy me. If I tell you who my dad is, you're going to want his autograph, but I'm not going to tell you. Watch, I'll tell you. <laughs> his uncle ran, ran a chess club in the former Soviet Union. The world champion in that time, I think it was the 60s or 70s, the world champion in that time was one of his close friends. When the, when the champion of the world in that time grew old, my dad's uncle ended up beating him in the, in the later part of his life. When my uncle got old, my dad beat him. When my dad beat him, the guy couldn't sleep for seven days. Watch, I'll tell you why. He couldn't sleep for seven days because my, uncle, my dad's uncle was an educated chess player. What does that mean? <laughs> I know, just hang on. An educated chess player, he was very, very read up. He, he was taught how to play chess. He was taught strategies. He was taught options. He was taught different forms of attack, different types of defense. Yeah, chess is crazy. He was taught a lot of things. And so he, being a studied chess player, did not understand how my dad, who is an educated chess player, who is a plumber, could see the board so well and beat him. And this caused the man, poor man, to not sleep for seven days. This man's wife, when my dad visited them again in California, this man's wife told my dad, Jorah, George, please don't play him ever again. <laughs> With tears in her eyes. He's like, what happened? For seven days. For seven days. He couldn't sleep. He didn't want to eat. And he was mad all day. <laughs> and he was repeating on the couch. 
как он меня победил. Sorry, sorry, how did he beat me? The U.S. chess player was known for this. He would set things up thinking he's going this direction, for example. You would take the piece thinking what he's doing is not going to work. Take the piece he's offering. When you would take this piece, 11 moves later, you were checkmated every time. What am I talking about? Nothing. Let's pray. I'm, I'm kidding. That's so messed up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is what I'm talking about. All it takes in a very good game of chess is one misplaced piece. If you're really, really good at chess, your pawns are very, very important. What is that? Your pawn is the lowest value piece. It's the piece that can do the less damage on the board. Your pawns begin to be so valuable to your victory because every piece on the board you need. What the enemy is wanting to do today is simply misplace you. It's to make you be like everybody else. It's to make you do what everybody else is doing. As soon as he misplaces you, my friend, it's over. You cannot allow the devil to misplace you. If you feel like a pawn or you feel like a sheep, my friend, you are important to the kingdom of God. There is a role that you are playing in this age. There is no person that gets planted into an age. My God is the creator. My God is an architect. My God is a designer. Can I keep going? Some of you, are, you, are you sleeping in the back? Everything my God does is perfect. Every person he makes is perfect. Everything he times and frames is perfect. If timing is important for you, my friend, much, much more important for God. And watch. You, made by him in the way you are, filled with his presence, set in the time of this age for a specific placement because there is a sign for you to do in the age you live in. You know what gives me boldness? Knowing that I stand here because of God. Some of you look in my eyes and you're scared of me. Don't be scared of me. I know why I'm here. I know that the age he placed me in, I don't have to bend over to. If he placed you in this age, look at your neighbor. Are you here? Ask your neighbor, are you here? Is everyone here? Are you sure? Ask your other neighbor. Are you here? We're all here. Are we all here? We're all here. Do you know why you're here? Because this time, God placed you in. This age, God placed you in. Touch your neighbor. Is he real? Uh-huh. 
What you're feeling was made by God. What you're looking at was designed by God. If I have been placed in this age, if I have been put in this time, my friend, you better believe that God can do something through me for this generation. I am born into this age to be the light and the salt. That where I walk, things will not decay. Decay will stop because of me. Me because of him. Where I go, darkness will flee because I am the light of God. I'm not just shining like a little star. I and the light of God. And where I come, darkness must flee. Where I walk, my saltiness stops decay. Sometimes it's hard to be in a place where you feel like you're eating celery and everyone else is eating what they are offered by this world. But my friend, a time will come where you will be escorted by God himself into a place of influence to those that you left. Influence derives from truth. It's what he says, and when I obey, that gives me influence. It's not how long I've been in church. It's not how I preach. It's not my vocals. It's not how I sing or play. It's not where I serve and how much I serve. My friend, his word, which is truth, that is in my life, gives me the power to have influence. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light, and God divided the light from the darkness. You are not here to blend in. You are not here to walk like everyone walks. It's unfortunate. No names, but it's unfortunate that people whom God has given a large platform of influence have turned to use it for themselves. It's unfortunate we have teachers known worldwide that are telling us tattoos are okay now. I'm gonna put one on my back to get religious demons upset. Kind of blasphemy is this. Jesus didn't cast no demons out by becoming like religious people. He loved them. He loved them. And my friend, he hung on the cross for them. He did not conform to his age. This platform is not my platform. I told one of our young guys, he was getting invited to places. I said, have you talked to our pastors about your invitation? No, I haven't. Do I have to tell them about all my invitations? I said, no, you don't have to tell them about all your invitations, but I want to tell you something. This platform is not yours. This church which God started is the reason I'm here. And when I grow up in the church and God begins to use me, my church is not a platform to go where I want and do what I want and teach what I want and say what I want. There is a responsibility I carry being a part of the body. My friend, it's not about anybody here. 
It's not about one person here. What I'm in a body. My responsibility is to take care of the body that I'm a part of. That what I say from here is not just going to influence or impact my life, but it speaks of the church I'm a part of. It speaks of God's church that we are all a part of. There is great responsibility that we have in this time. God is raising up. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm, telling, I'm telling people here. There is God raising up people that are here that will preach God's word in a way we've never heard before. There are worship songs, not about feelings, but about the king that will be declared from some people here. And what you have, because God gave you something when he placed you in this time, what you have will influence the generation we live in. There can be a shift in culture because of you. This platform is not mine. I speak when I'm asked to speak. I don't speak when I'm not asked to speak. I'm going to finish soon, I promise. I love David. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But no one compares to Jesus in the Gospels. I often ask this question, why? Why from the age of two till the age of 30, we have no detail of his life? It's a youth conference. And I wish it being a youth conference, I could tell you a little bit more about Jesus' life lived in his youth. But the end of Luke 2 says this. Jesus' parents lose him in Jerusalem. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you know that I must be about my father's business? But then they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, was under their care, was under their obedience, hello, was faithful in his house. But his mother kept all these things. Some translations say hid these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men invisible influence today 
This world is desiring that you would be visible. That what you see, what you desire, what you offered, you would grab, taste, have pleasure from, and that ultimately you would be somebody that people would know you, that people would see you, that people would hear about you, talk about you, follow you, hashtag you. And I begin to think, why from the age of two till the age of 30, all we read in the life of Jesus is that he was in his father's house under their submission and he grew in wisdom, grew in favor, grew in stature before God and before man. And I always thought, why? Why from arguably the most important time in his life, teenage years, youth years, young adult years, we don't see, don't hear, don't get to know about invisible influence. All you read of his young life is he submitted himself and he grew in wisdom, he grew in favor, and he grew in stature. In other words, he was spiritually growing and developing, hidden by God until his appointed time. He was invisible to this world. The Pharisees expected to see a king, but it was a man in Nazareth building tables, supposedly, living in Galilee, doing things like ordinary men, but hidden by God. A king tried to kill him when he was born, but God made him invisible. He lived his youth and teens and young adult life, and you don't hear about him. You don't see him anywhere. He even told his mother when he went public and was at a wedding, Mother, it's not time for me yet. He was invisible. When he began ministry, he would tell people often, Don't tell, don't spread. Jesus, good teacher, I am not good. Hear me. Who are you calling good? The Father is good. They expected a king on a horse, but he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem. His godliness was hidden in his morality. The Pharisees wanted to kill him. The Jewish people wanted to kill him. Sadducees, the Romans didn't know what to do with him. And he stood before a crowd. And a man like Barabbas was visible, but my Jesus in God was not. They saw him, but they did not see him. It was only on the cross when he was dying and he died, a Roman soldier exclaimed, Truly, this was the Son of God. He lived, listen, an invisible life. In his youth, that in God's appointed time, he would be released to do the work of God. When he would be released, watch, he is prepared. This is the danger of you running on your own, of you doing what you want. My friend, when your church, when your leadership sees fit to release you, they will release you. 
And in a point of time, Jesus was released. And when he was released, no glory was to him. Somebody hear me. No glory was to him. And he who humbled himself and became obedient to death and death on the cross was lifted to the highest place whose name now is above every name that at the name of Jesus every tongue every knee will confess that he is Lord the best thing you can do today is become invisible that the one who is now lifted to the highest place who was invisible in his time would become visible in your time you are living in a time where you can become invisible light shines best through a clear vessel light shines best through a clear vessel Nothing in me, nothing in me is for you to see and be wild and nude. My friend, I want to be clear. I want to be humble. I want to be transparent. I want only the one who is worthy, only the one who humbled himself. In his youth, I don't read about him. In his youth, I don't know him. But he became nothing. He became nothing that the Father would be revealed to the world that he came to. His mission was to reveal the hearts of the Father when he came. And so, his 30 years of preparation were arguably more important than the last three. When he functioned in his last three, everything was directed to giving the Father glory, to revealing the Father, to teaching about the kingdom, to showing him who he actually is, to revealing to him who he actually is. More parables about the Father, more explanations about the Father, more explanations about his love and who he is, why? It was the Father that in Jesus' appointed time had to be revealed to the earth. But my friend, we are living in a time where he is now lifted to the highest place and you and I are here to now reveal him to this earth. Right where you are, you bow your head with me. Bow your head with me. You are here. We're going to have two altar calls. The first one is why we do this conference and why I've preached to you that if you're here and the Holy Spirit was drawing you, convicting you, you need to give your life to the Lord. Maybe your walk, maybe your walk has gone, gone off course and you feel, you feel that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to return to a place 
that God has for you. You need to give your life to him or rededicate your life to him. Wherever you are, if that's you and you need this, my friend, he is here. He is here to come into your life, to encounter you in this moment, to change you. Right where you are, I'd like you to lift your hands. Right where you are. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. I see hands going up, hands going up. You need to surrender your life to the Lord. Okay, as, as, as we stand up as a church and you lifted your hand, I want you to come forward. Church, come on, give it, put your hands together for people that are giving their life. Please come forward. I saw hands lifted in every section. Please come forward. We're going to have leaders pray with you right now. Wow. Wow. Come on. Come forward. We thank you, Lord. If you raise your hand, it's so important you come out. The church of God is gonna be praying for you. My friend, something powerful happens when the church begins to lift their voice for you. Come on, if you gave, you're giving your life, please come forward. You're giving your life. Wow, wow. Wow. They keep coming, they keep coming. You're giving your life to the Lord. our hands together. If you came forward to the front, lift your hands. You're going to pray with me. But after my prayer, people are going to pray for you. And you need to cry out to God on your own, whatever you're going through, wherever you're at in your life. God sees, God knows, my friend, your sin, your darkest moment is not a surprise to God. He loves you very much. He's here to encounter you, to touch you, to change your life. Pray this with faith. Father, I thank you. Come on, church. Father, I thank you for your son who came and died for my sins. I repent of my sin. I repent of my darkness. And I need you, Jesus. I call on your name. I believe with all my heart that you are Lord, that you took my place on the cross that you died and rose again. And I now in this moment surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. I'm not my own. I am yours. Have your way in my life. Break the power of sin in my life. Set me free that I would live for you. In Jesus' name.